Welcome back, Chumps fans. First things first, we started a YouTube channel, so check that out for some clips from our podcast. But we are so excited today to have legendary golfer and golf coach Chris Zambri. We had a great talk today with Chris about his time as a touring professional, played 11 years on the different tours, then was the head coach of the USC golf team, my alma mater and his too, where he had great success and then got hired by Michael Beard at Pepperdine to go to help them and they won the national championship. And now Chris is the head of the USA Golf Developmental Program, which is fascinating. And it was a great podcast to catch up with an old friend. So enjoy episode 22 of Two Club Chumps with Chris Zambri. Hey, man, those guys are chumps. Are, are you already making fun of of SC Adams? Take it easy on us, okay? Yeah, Take it easy my on bad. us. I'm a I'm a sleeper fan, just to let you know. You know, oh my god, too many friends go there. So, well, I'm yeah. a former fan, so yeah. I was gonna say you you Sorry, uh, you, Brent. you went to my <laughs> other school, which is I went to Pepperdine Law School. Don't forget. So, oh, okay, there you go. You hit both of my teams. Michael and I are good buddies. <laughs> yeah. So, I I'm like a. It. I'm actually a big Pepperdine fan. Love him. Yeah. First of all, I can't believe we have Chris Zambri on the chumps. Yeah. It, I mean, I when John and I came oh, up with yeah. that, this sure. idea, we were like, uh, you're the, the forefront because you may be one of the oldest golf buddies that I have because I was telling John, when did I meet Chris? I think it was 20 years ago. I'm More. Going, uh, I mean, maybe more. And uh, I'm going to take a lesson from a young poker player who has become a coach named Chris Como. <laughs> yeah. And so and then there's this like guy on the PGA Tour. He's playing the U.S. Open. Chris Zambri, the best wedge player I've ever met in my life. I'm like, <laughs> who is this guy? And so we actually started playing some golf. And what's the Muni in Westlake we played at? Westlake Golf Course. There you go. And um, so, oh my gosh, digressing, but I'm so excited to have you on, Chris. We want to kind of get into your story and talk a little bit about your golf life, especially um, growing up junior golf and on to when you're playing on the different tours. What uh, Did you grow up in Westlake? I grew up in Thousand Oaks. Thousand Oaks, that's right. Yeah, yeah. And played high school golf where? At Westlake. At Westlake, gotcha. And yeah, yeah. how how was your uh, high school golf career? Um, it was great. It was great. Our teams our teams were really good, um, and that was that was awesome. I mean, we yeah. we won CIF twice. Oh wow. Um, wow! We only won state once, which was a crime, really. I mean, my my senior year, we had in our top six, we had like five Division One players, including. Charlie Wee, Jimmy hmm. Chang, who went to USC. Jamie Nello went to UCLA. Um, Jerry Chang, who went to Stanford. I mean, oh, of course. Wow. wow. How do we not win? How do and we not didn't... win every single day of every single hour? I mean, did you get so when you went to USC? Did did you guys have two guys go to USC off your team like the we same did. year? Like you we graduated? Did. Wow. Yep. Yep. And um, and then two years earlier, we had another guy go to USC. Um, named James Kim, who was a really mm -hmm. nice golfer. I remember um, playing against him. And yeah. then, of course, Charlie, we went on to play the tour, and and he was a sophomore 
that year that uh, we won the state his his freshman year. Um, it was up at North Ranch, so it was kind of a right. home field yeah. advantage. But oh, that's right, that's right. So when you got to SC, who were the older golfers that were on the team? Um, older golfers would have been um, Will Tipton, mm. Steve Sear, um, Earl Morley. Earl Morley. Yeah, <laughs> Earl Morley. Yeah. I see him sometimes in senior events. Yeah. Oh, yeah. cool. Oh, Greg yeah. Abdulian. Who was Steve, the coach when you were at SC, Chris, by the way? Randy Line. The and, late um, Randy Line. Right yeah. Randy and Line. Steve Sear was incredible talent. Yeah. He was yeah. an incredible talent. Yeah. yeah. Um, there was like this long run of Northern Cal studs that came to SC. Um, and then it kind of it stopped. And then yeah. they started recruiting Southern Cal puds like me, and then and wardrobe, and, wardrobe. <laughs> and then the dark years ensued. And but, how was your how were your puds while you were at SC? Did you guys win anything? Did you advance anywhere? How, how was the team? No, industry? we no. stunk out loud. One year we finished seventh. Okay, we were a good team. Yeah. Did um, you have a guy out of Northern California, Dublin area, like Brian something? Remember that he was. Yeah, amazing. that guy was. Yeah, that guy amazing. was amazing. Yeah, amazing. And yeah. um. He was the number one player for uh, my first three years there. Uh, oh, wow. And, and then he was done after that. But he's he just had an amazing uh, level of talent, flushed it big time, was a good putter. He lost in the semis to um, Mitch Voges the year mm. he won oh, the amateur yeah, at the I honors. Him. Yeah. yeah. He, he won it at the honors course in like 90 or something, and or yeah. 91 maybe, or 89. I'm not sure which, but. Anyways, that that is great. What year did you start at USC? 88. God, I was right after you. I don't know how we didn't cross paths. I got there in 89. So wow. We must have just, but I was on the baseball world and then then I got off the baseball world and got into volleyball. I wasn't into golf back then, but we we definitely passed each other going a million times at some point. That's so funny. And then I've seen you at the the three two club a couple or the nine oh yeah the <laughs> right. go right. down the row yes exactly <laughs> right. oh my gosh that's so funny and then when as you're finishing your last year there are you like 100 percent turning pro had you already played some pro events or what was your strategy for after usc um i was i, I decided i wanted to turn pro i was i was always really uncertain um, and, and I was pro- I was onto something because it turned out I didn't really make it, but I was very uncertain <laughs> that I was going to um, be good enough. And then um, my senior year at, at SC was my as my fifth year because I I started um, as a freshman playing and then broke my thumb and so got my year back because it was just the right timing to get your year back and. Yeah. And I was decent throughout college. I was I was helpful, but not great. And um, and then my my last semester of school, I decided um, I was going to start swinging like it looked like Lee Trevino looked to me. You know, okay. I was going right. to try to hit. You know, this is back when everybody drew it, and and nobody knew the ball flight rules, the real ones. We knew all the bad ones. You know, like that the ball starts on your path. Right, which was wrong, and so, so people who hooked it or or drew it used to always think their left balls were pulls, and so guys like me would just swing more to the right at that point. And um, I started to try to fade it, and all of a sudden I could play golf, you know. Uh-huh. And yeah, it was really cool. And um, 
And then, so I turned pro at the end of the year. It took me till December to make that decision. And then played a full year of like golden staters and stuff. And then yeah. um, at the end of that year, um, I went and took a lesson from a really good teacher and he told me I had to swing a certain way. And so I remember going home to this vacant lot near where my wife and I lived in these, well, it was my girlfriend then, but we lived in these apartments and I, I took some balls out and I tried to swing that way and I couldn't even hit the ball to save my <laughs> life. And so I then went and played in a tournament and I, I remember playing with an SC guy named Brad Greer and I was I was using a driver, I think, off a two hundred and like thirty yard par three, and I'm like, yeah. if this is the way I'm supposed to swing, then I'm not yeah. supposed to be playing golf anymore. So I quit right. at that point. Right. Wow. Yeah. But anyways, but... and then and then I took a job at a golf course in '95, Sunset Hills, mm. and started playing again. And then they had the U.S. Open qualifying at a North Ranch Country Club, which is a course I grew up playing. And I had that little um, putter, that little football head putter with the uh, that Paul Asinger used to use the thing. Oh yeah, yeah. Thing. Yeah. So it. I had that in my bag with a, with a custom uh, cut down with a pin grip on it, and I went and shot sixty six in North Ranch, qualified through the first stage, and then went to Valencia Country Club for the sectionals, and uh, did my very best to screw it up. I went, I finished dub bogue bogue. Oh. And made it by one. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. So, and what was that? 200, 300? The 95 US Open of Shinnecock. No, I know, but was it, is <laughs> what do you shoot? The 70, 69, even with the. Oh, I the, shot 69, 73, I think. Okay. Okay. So just a couple under and, par. And, got and, in. Yeah. And uh, just squeaked in. Wow. Just squeaked in. Shinnecock, by the way. Yeah. And then I got the fever, like a lot of, I've seen this phenomenon before where people qualify for the U S open and they play okay. And all of a sudden they think they're a tour player. Well, that was me. I, I, <laughs> I shot 70 in the first round. I thought I belong out here, which was, you know, like, so did you, did you take a local caddy? Did you have a friend? Did you have a friend come with you or who, no, who? I have my brother. Okay. I have my brother, Mike. Oh, on the back, Mike. Right? And the we just wild had Mike Zambri. Yeah, we had an amazing week. Yeah. yeah, we had an amazing week together. We, so was that was that the with, year? Uh, was that the year that like Phil putted the ball and then he just kind of no, slapped it no. around? Or, or who who no, won that, that was, year? It was Goosen. the year Paven won. Oh, Paven, Paven won. Right. Oh, was yeah, it there? Okay. Right. Yes. Yeah. Yes. A fellow Camarillo boy. Yes. That's right. Uh, That's right. I yeah. know. I, I know his brother really well too. Uh, from Titleist. Yeah. Um, how'd you do in the second round? You had seventy first round, second round. Yeah, and I gagged my brains out. And beautiful. shot uh, beautiful, perfect. Yeah, total choke job. I teed off at like two forty-five, which was like seven hours too late for my <laughs> level of anxiety. And um, I needed like a six forty tee time. Yeah, to even have a chance. And actually hung in there, and then um, made a triple on thirteen to go from three over to six over, and then um, was just limping all the way into the house to shoot eighty-two. Oh, I missed that. But it was great it, experience. It, it kind of uh, jump started my my love again of trying to be a golfer, and so I ended up going to Q school at the end of that year. Made it to second stage, um, and anyways, just started playing mini tours again in '96, and then played all the way until through '04. 
That's what I remember. I remember because whenever you and I played your wedge game and your putting was outstanding. I mean, it was a, it was shocking to watch how good your wedges were. I mean, I remember, you know, just seeing that and how like, God, this is how you score. I mean, this is really, and I'm sure that fast forwarded to your decade stuff and your, you know, analytics, we'll get to that too. But yeah, that's, that's a healthy pro career, by the way. I mean, most people like a year or two, they're done. And uh, so, yeah, it was good. It was good. I played 11 years, uh, mostly on for 11 years. And uh, um, I, I played on the Nike, what was then the Nike tour, but you know, the Corn Ferry tour for six right. years. And I had um, a, just a really great opportunity. And, and you know, I, I, I don't even remotely look back and think that I missed out on anything. You know, I, yeah. I had a chance. Um, it was awesome. I loved it. I loved every bit of it. And you played a bunch of U.S. Opens, as I recall, correct? No, just just two. Just it felt two. like a bunch back then. Yeah. Where was the Where was the other one? <laughs> it was a bunch compared to how many I should have played. Yeah, I, the other one was at Pinehurst. Oh, nice! Oh, god, your future home. Wow. Yeah, wow. in '99, I played that one. And in that one, I shot 148, and the cut was 147. Oh, but it, oh. it was like. Um, I was a full blown, you know, pro then, like you know, Nike tour player and all that. Right. So it was a it was an awesome experience. But that the ninety five was just so special to be. I mean, I was working in a golf shop, you know, at, at a small country club, and I was, you know, shot seventy in the first round of the U.S. Open. I it was like amazing. I mean, that makes me tingle just to think about that. I mean, that is that is so fun. And so uh, how was hanging it up? I mean, as a former agent for football players and golfers, I just remember the transition, kind of like the military transition to the real world is tough. How was it for you and your final? Yeah, life? I'm done. It is hard. It is hard, especially. Um, you know, I went to USC, I got a degree in communication, so I didn't exactly walk out of there with a with a special skill, you know, like a, like an accounting degree. I or, had the same degree, by the way. <laughs> yeah. And so clearly those skills crossed over to you, but uh, somehow they didn't cross yeah. over to me. I don't know. I Coach though. Like Coach. Communications, yeah. nonverbal, <laughs> you don't know it. Exactly. But they did pay off. Anyway, go ahead. Exactly. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, it was rough. You know, I mean, it was, it's hard. You, you feel like you, 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 you're moving up towards a goal and you're working so hard for it. And then you're back to square, yeah. absolute square one, you know? Yeah. And, um, and, you know, I heard so much about, you know, you go to USC and then you, you, you have that on your resume and then the doors open. And um, I just, I didn't have that experience. And I, I don't think it was because, that's not a real experience. I just think it's different when you're 30 something yeah. years old, Correct. you know, yes. it's one yeah. thing to be 22 fresh out of school. Uh, but, but to be 33, um, it's different, you know, it's different. And, um, and so I started teaching um, and I had taught prior to, you know, uh, playing full time, but I started teaching and I actually, um, took a job out of golf completely um, with a company called Reynolds and Reynolds, which was a 
um, computer software hardware company. They so I always describe it as if you were to start a car dealership, you would either call us at Reynolds and Reynolds or a couple other companies to buy everything you would need to run your dealership. Oh, so, okay, interesting. So like you would you would buy your software, your hardware, your printers, all that stuff. We were a company out of uh, um, Dayton, Ohio. And um, I did that for a year. I went seven trips to Dayton, Ohio to train to be a salesman. Nope. And um, nope. yeah, it, you know, <laughs> no, it was, it was an awesome opportunity. I mean, I have, I learned a lot about uh, sales, which was, which was helpful in my future job. I, you know, there's so many instincts that I had that were all wrong when it comes to selling. And so um, I, I got, I got, at least I learned some stuff there and then, Lo and behold, the job at USC opened up. Um, my very good friend Ted Gleason. Oh yeah, decided. Yeah, he's the best. Um, he decided to leave. He's the best, and um, he decided to leave. And he he gave me a heads up. Hey, I'm leaving because um, I had I had already. Um, Ted was at one point interviewing for a job at Notre Dame, and I said, "Gosh, Ted, I'd love to. I'll go with you. You know, I'll be your assistant." And he ended up um, not going um, for that job. I don't know if he didn't get the job or if he just wasn't offered the job, but he stayed at USC, was became their head coach, and then decided he wanted to um, spend more time with his family and, and still working golf, but not necessarily as a coach. And so I just got unbelievably fortunate to uh, be offered that job um, as a head coach at a big-time school with – no experience coaching. It was and your alma you know, and your alma mater too. Yeah, so yeah it was just great. a yeah. lucky, lucky deal. And lucky what year deal. was and this? I, this was in two thousand and six. That's what I thought. Yeah, yeah, gotcha. And so, um, on top of that, I walked into what was a pretty good team, um, but two kids were joining the team. One was Jamie Lovemark, and oh wow, and one was a guy named Rory He, and Rory was. Uh, first teamer his second year and Jamie was player of the year his freshman year and a first teamer obviously player of the year not just freshman of the year but player of the year and then first teamer his second year and so I had with the guys who were were still there plus these two we were pretty good you know we we ended up winning the conference um, in the first year by a whole bunch like 35 shots at Eugene Country Club and ended up not playing well at the finals but Jamie won the NC2A. So I just got, you know, you know, fortunate to get the job and then really fortunate to have some guys on the team who, who Ted Gleason and, and Kurt Chouette recruited. Yeah. I mean, um, Jamie Lovemark is you know, a guy. Make I, me look smart. I can't explain Jamie Lovemark. <clears throat> Excuse me. I, he had the most beautiful swing bomber tall. I can't figure out that guy should have been multiple, multiple long-time tour winner and champion. I followed him for so long, and I was like, God, this guy is prototype. That's how hard it is on the tours now. No matter how good you look and how good you swing, winning can be so elusive. But I would have bet yeah. my life on that guy. I would have, too. I would have, too. Um, he's um, He got out there, and he, he kept his card for a number of years. Um, he's still a great, great friend of mine. Um, he's married now, and he has a beautiful daughter named Teddy, who's <laughs> about two now. And um, he's still playing, and um, he's playing the Corn Ferry this year. But, yeah, um, 
amazing talent, uh, easiest kid to coach that I've ever coached. Just awesome. So, so is yeah, Chris, Chris, he's, he's Chris one friend. of the things that being a head golf coach at a, at such a premier college, is it, it, what's the behind the scenes like, like, you know, dealing with ADs and raising money and, and dealing with uh, academics and, and recruiting uh, just rules and regulations. That's a whole nother part of the the job and that not a lot of people are like, Oh, you're the golf coach. You just go, you know, plug and play and, and run, you know, no, yeah. there's a whole side of it. That's really in, insane. Like, you know, who you report to and all those kind of things. Yeah, there was um, that was another thing that that was fortunate for me is that, you know, I spent almost all my life after college not really in the the normal job world, and so, luckily, when I became the head coach at USC, we had a director of golf named Kurt Chouette, yeah. and Kurt was extremely helpful in helping me kind of bridge the gap um, when it comes to all the things that go with coaching other than the stuff you do when you get to the golf course. And so scheduling and ordering and, and I was even more fortunate that Kurt did all the fundraising. And so it was just a, a really lucky situation um, with, with USC because of the fact that I had a lot to learn. And luckily I had this buffer with, with the help of Kurt Um to kind of bridge the gap between where I was and where I needed to be to be a really good coach. But I will say, uh, but this. it was great. I, I, I yeah, Chris. Uh, also, John, he had such a good presence and personality. I went to a bunch of fundraisers, especially one at Wilshire. I remember Country Club, where they had it. Just it was so smooth. You talked to him. He was so good with people. Even though, yeah, Kurt definitely provided cover for you and did a lot of the organizing. But you were so good with athletes and parents and boosters and stuff. I mean, that that's a gift. And I think that's, that, no, thanks. that shows why you've been a great coach for so long, because you just really, you know, you don't get flustered and you have been there. So when you're talking to the kids, you're like, guys, I did this for 11 years. I know what I'm doing. And you just have that real good golf personality. So give yourself some credit too there. Oh, thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah. I, I um, I do feel really, at home when I get around uh, talented young golfers and golfers in general, I feel like that's kind of my comfort zone. And I feel really fortunate, even though I didn't make it on the PGA tour. Um, I feel like I have, um, although it's been eroding recently due to um, old age and um, my decrepit body, um, but I used to feel like I had some credibility because of where I, I, I was on the phone uh, just five days ago or less with my old boss at Pepperdine, Michael Beard. And he was on speaker with um, one of the players was in the office and these were talking and, and th this kid had watched me play a few times last semester when I was still the coach. And he's like, I can't get over how you even remotely made a living at playing golf that's what he said <laughs> oh that's cruel and that then i promptly cruel. said said hey buddy 
We're meeting at this course. Yes. Bring your money. Yes. Yeah. We're gonna Nobody have talks a, to me that we're way. gonna have a but wedge anyways, games chip um, off. Oh my god, that's funny. Yeah, well, it wasn't part three that I was gonna make. <laughs> I was gonna say. So tell um, us tell but, us what um, like what were your groups at USC? So you had the Love Mark era, which was incredible. I mean, that kid, everyone's like, that's the next Adam Scott, Tiger Woods, all the words were yeah, I know. He, kid. And then so what, I had give us some of your classes there. And they were there till 09. Um, uh, Roy left after his second year to turn pro, and Jamie ended up leaving after his third year. And then we had a brand new group in 09, which would have been Jamie's senior year, but it turned out we had um, we had TJ Vogel, who who's mm, played yep. in the Masters, um, um, won on the Corn Ferry Tour. We had Martin Trainer, who's um, one on the PGA tour, um, is still on the PGA tour off and on playing the corn Ferry tour. We had Stuart Hagestad oh, um, yes. in this class. Who's he, King, Oh, he King played for you. I, did, I didn't know that. Yeah. He's pretty much maybe one of the five greatest U S amateur, you know, yeah. United States amateur golfers of all yep. time. hundred percent. Looking yep. like, and, um, and then we had another kid who ended up being unbelievably, helpful named sam smith in that class and yes. so i was friends with those sam were my that's four, right yeah 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 great kid those are my four incomers in 09 and um and it turned out we could have done a lot more with that group um i could have done a lot more with that group i probably i probably had you know just a coaching immaturity was just so um used to doing really really well yeah. and and being very i'm not being as patient as i could have been with a bunch of like really talented young golfers and and i if i had to do it over that's definitely something i would have done differently just kind of what i learned from that group and and um just learning how to chill a little bit more and not being so anxious to continue to really play well and of course we wanted to play well but but there's a you know there's a certain patience that comes with young golfers and um and i had a coach once tell me really one of our best coaches and still is bruce hepler and he said um he said you know he he said being young can mask you know commitment you know it can sometimes they haven't quite figured out how much they love golf yet. And so just, I needed to let that play out a little better. Yeah. And we ended up winning a, a pack 10, uh, the last one ever played in 2011. We went up at Stanford and we were a good team. We got to the finals each year and stuff, but that, that should have been a really special group. Yeah. And, and I, I, I look back on that one and say, gosh, I wish I would have um, just been a little wiser. Uh, and just back back them. then on the recruiting trail is it like kind of like just build it and they will come so so you you maybe a top 10 or top 15 united states you know golf college like you got just resumes flying at you all the time and you go watch and you're going to go well or or is it like you had to you he, had to get in some rooms and go hey i really want you you know because he's being recruited by yeah. oklahoma state oklahoma texas blah 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 there's there's very few programs that can just sit back and, and let the resumes pour in, especially like going right off the top of the rankings. Like, you know, I think of Stanford, um, Vanderbilt right now, um, 
but for the most part, I mean, Oklahoma State over the years, I'm sure, but for the most part, you got to go out and fight for it. And, and um, you know, it's not that I couldn't put together, uh, I couldn't easily end up with maybe four kids who would be considered, you know, maybe second tier, like sixth in California, all the way up to 30th. I probably could have done that without a lot of really hard work, but like TJ came from Florida and um, the other three are California kids. Um, Stewart was pretty unheralded when he ended up coming in. He ended up winning the Scott Robertson uh, prior to, to coming to SC, but um, it still took a ton of work. And it, it was probably the part of the job that I maybe enjoyed the least just because of a lot of the uncertainty that came with it. You know, I was, I was just like always, just give me, just give me players and let's go to work. Yeah. Well, and, I mean, can you imagine a, trying to coach now? I mean, college sports is ruined right now, especially football, but I'm sure to some extent golf. I played with the head basketball coach at USC the other day at Bel Air, and it's just like to have to deal with NIL, transfer mm-hmm. portal. I mean, John and I want to do a, a podcast on this. We're having my, my old boss on um, Don Yee down the road to talk really about how college sports is wrecked because you got to. Yeah, pay. it's a bummer. It's such a bummer. And that's why Saban left. I mean, you know, my nephew, wow. one of my nephews is the center for Alabama. He's going to start next yeah. year. And it's just like, you know, they have to give them monthly stipends. They have to cater their needs or they're going to oh. transfer. And it's, it's just, uh, it's gross. Yeah. You know, well, I was, I, I worked in that environment up until the end of October of last yeah. year. And um, um, it's it's definitely come to golf. It's yeah, not that it hasn't has. come to golf too. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's happening in golf. And um, I mean, I, I know that it's affecting how things are going in golf like there's there's teams you know i won't name the team but there was a team they're really good and they had a kid who was pretty much done you know his scholarship had been you know he played his four years scholarship was over and because of covid he had an extra year and the coach said do you want to come back and he said well i would love to but um i don't have a scholarship and he said well if i get you the money would you come back and sure enough yeah. So they basically went from four and a half to five and a half, just like that. Yeah. Wow. Scholarships. Yeah. Um, well, and in and football, it's even um, worse because they you they get eighty five scholarships for these big geez, schools. Yeah. People don't realize that. And my brother, you know, he played in the NFL, and now he he does uh, all his sons are in D one football, and he's like, what teams are doing is giving those eighty five scholarships, but they're giving another thirty in cash. I it's know disgusting. it's crazy. Like Ole Miss next year is going to win the national championship. People don't realize that they got forty portal transfers, and I heard the number was wow. ten million dollars that they spent on these kids. So this it's, is gross. This is disgusting. Yeah, it's horrible. It's gross. It's gross. On one hand, I totally uh, to me, it's a bummer. But on the flip side, I do see why we're here. And and I do see that if if a whole bunch of people are going to be making a living off young people running unbelievably fast and smashing into each other, that show so should the people running really fast and smashing into each other. Like I I get it. There has there might be a better way of doing this with revenue sharing and stuff, but I I do understand 
Yeah. And put a cap and on I, it. I, I mean, like Alab Alabama called me and said, Hey, you were a sports agent. You know, what do you think we should do? And I was like, just give everyone the same amount, make it a, a monthly paycheck. And that's kind of what they do. A lot of the big teams have their own inner NIL. I'm sure SC does too, where they just say, Hey, you got all A's here's five grand a month. Hey, you showed up for class for home. And like some, but not, you can go make $3 million. I mean, I heard Caleb yeah. said, Caleb's like, I'm not gonna, I don't need to turn pro. Cause I'm going I could make 7 million at USC. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. no, that's you're, you're bastardizing it, but you know. it's kind of a bummer. It's a, yeah. it's a humongous bummer. Yeah, it, it is. It's, I don't think it's it, it's just a bummer but it's it's I think it's actually there's there's a lot of fairness to it and maybe just the model needs a lot of tweaking. Yeah, yeah. You know what stinks is when and we see this now even in golf is that you you're a coach, you're at a school that's not really big. You take a you don't take a chance on a kid. You actually recruit somebody and figure out that man, I I've, I've got a good one here. And they show up and they play great for you and you help them get better. And then at that point they put themselves in the portal. Yeah. And, yeah. and now, yeah. And now it has so, to be I mean, the portal is, the portal is going to benefit big name schools. Yeah. Yeah. You know, in, in golf, I won't speak to other sports, but it seems to be doing the same in other sports, but in golf for sure, like a couple things, the new recruiting rules, you can't talk to somebody until they're, after uh, June 15th of their sophomore year, yep. that's affecting big time uh, recruiting and, and, and making it a lot better for the bigger schools. And then this whole um, portal thing is making it better for the bigger schools. And then NLI, uh, I mean, NIL is making it way better for the bigger schools. It's like it, they came up with like it's the triple whammy of helping yeah. Yeah. the um the rich get richer. Well, well I, I got to I got to assume these coaches now, right? These coaches, they 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 okay, they start looking at it and then the portal gets opened and then all of a sudden the recruiting wise, let's go to the portal first and see who's there yeah. and then yeah. we'll go to the high school. Like unfortunately, I'll be honest with you, the JC, I mean, it's like almost where kids go to die, to be honest yeah. with you because because they're going to go they're going to be the last one to pick from and you better be making stuff happen outside of junior college golf, like on the national level, like USAMs and SCGA yep, stuff and yep. whatever. And I try to tell these kids this, but the portal has got to be the first place that you guys coach. You're like, I remember recruiting that guy. Yeah. He went to Oklahoma state. He didn't like it there. Now he's in the portal. Let's go talk to him. You know? Well, luckily uh -oh. we're in sports too, that are a little more calm. <clears throat> you know, my, my oldest son's a pitcher at Loyola high school, junior beast starting to talk to people, but baseball, what does baseball get? 11 scholarships, 16, yeah, 11 and a half. Half, I think. Yeah. So they'll give a quarter here, a quarter here. So it's there is still some of that stuff. If you're, you know, PG All American and you're going to, they, you're drafted by the Royals in the first round. But it's a little more calm. But still, I hear the kids because SC. I mean, um, Loyola has two kids committed to SC already. One kid to TCU, and so I still hear whispers of like, well, I hope I get a little bit of this and a little bit of that and fifty thousand this. And I'm like, yeah. you know, but I, I get the other side. My brother was, you know three-time All-American at Texas. And somebody said he probably made them, you know, 
$500 million in revenue on his jerseys and stuff. So I get it. You need to get something, but let's get back to the purity because you guys are pros now. We basically yeah, all of the sports is pros. So yeah, anyway, it's, we're it's digressing, crazy. but I just love talking to you about this. So you're at SC, um, uh, you win the Pac-10. When's the big win coming up? When's the class where you, because you, you guys won the national championship there, right? No, we never did. You never did. <laughs> never I thought did. you did. Almost. Okay. Almost. So, so really, the the a couple really important game changers uh, for for us was getting Rico Hoey to come play for oh, us. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. He just and had a um, week. yeah, he well, he's had a couple unbelievable first rounds, and yeah. then he's kind of he's, he he uh, he petered out down in Palm Desert, and he petered out a bit at uh, Torrey. He played well in the north and then had a really tough round yeah. in the south. But but he was just an unbelievably productive player for us. He was 2014. He came in and um uh was he 14? No, he was he was um he was the 13. Rico was the 13, 2013, and um just crushed it for four years. And um and then we had another class, um, you know. After that was Sean Crocker and Jonah Texera came in. And then oh, after yeah. that, Justin Suh came in. Oh, and, Justin um, Suh. Yeah, that yeah. kid's yeah. He's, of all yeah. the ones, Rico Crocker, Suh was the one I would have expected least to be the star. And he's the star of all of them. Isn't that so weird? Yeah, it's weird. Well, he, you know, Justin is an exceptional putter. Yeah. And um, right. and even at a college level, he was I mean, he, he was putting like a tour player at, in college and um, and um, really good iron player. Sean and, and Rico, unbelievable drivers of the ball, good iron players. Um, they're both they're both making it, which is great. Sean's yeah. on the European tour and or DP tour. And Rico's now got his PJ tour card. Yeah. And uh, but they were just so productive and helpful. And so we ended up. Enrico's sophomore year, let's see, it was 13, 14, 14. So, it, so his freshman year, we went to the finals and finished dead last by like 20 strokes out of 30 teams. And that I was a, that, that right. was definitely a low point. We were at um, Prairie Dunes in Kansas. And then um, the next year, um, we had some, uh, we had some young guys coming in, in Sean and Jonah and, um, one of the things that I do a little differently than a lot of coaches, just the way we practice, we practice differently. We did a lot of data collection and stuff. And, and, and for a lot of people, almost every one of them, uh, stuff we did was new and, and different. And, uh, we used to get a lot of whining about it. And then, <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. so we, we finished dead last. And on top of that, uh, Mark Brody's book came out about strokes gained. And, and so his book really convinced me that what we were doing was worth our time um, because I was starting to teeter on it um, just because of not knowing for sure if iron play was important. Um, I mean, I thought it was, but I wasn't sure. Um, one of the kids came back from a major manufacturer and they were told that iron play is not a big deal. And so I was like, gosh, if I'm wasting their time, you know, what am I doing? And And so I got a little bit soft on how we practiced in 13, 14, I let kids do their own thing. Um, be, you know, kids were pushing back. And so I just had a really good talk with 
some returners heading into the 14, 15 year and just said, listen, we've got young guys coming in. Like, I really, really need you guys to be on board with what we're doing here. I need your support. And sure enough, you know, the way they acted convinced the young guys that what we were doing was worthwhile and, and worth their time. And, and so we returned to practice the way we, we've been practicing for years. Um, and, and we were, we were pretty good. Uh, we were actually really good, but we weren't great, great. But, but lo and behold, we got to the finals and, um, and made it to the final match um, against right. some, we, we beat, we beat two monster teams. We beat Texas and we beat, you know, Texas had Scheffler, Gim, a guy wow. named Gavin Hall, uh, Kramer Hickok, and one other stud that I'm forgetting who, um, you know, I don't even remember who it was, but it was another really good player. And then we beat Illinois, who had uh, Thomas Dietrich, who you see on TV the last couple of weeks. And um, just a, they had a, you know, they had five great players and yeah. somehow we beat them and then ended up losing to LSU in the final. But um, that kind of got us on a roll. We ended up getting to the match play that following we got to the match play three years in a row at that point. That's what and I went, remember. Uh, you, lost you, in the final, lost in this. Yeah. Yeah. You guys were, I, it, that was you, kind of our glory years. Yeah, yeah. That was such a great team. And John, you remember I, I represented Rico Hoey for like a year mm -hmm. and a half and man, again, another guy that I would have bet would have gone racing to the tour, but it's so hard. It's so yeah. freaking hard to be a pro. It's hard. It's hard. It's hard in so many ways. And it's not just the golf. It's the lifestyle. Yes. Mm -hmm. it's, um, and I think for Rico, you know, it's it's just hard to fill your days. Yeah. I mean, it, it's hard to feel productive. You, you end up with a lot of time on your hands. And if you don't stay busy, um, it's just and it's a kind of a lonesome pursuit, too. Yeah. Yeah, you know? and you're like, I'm beating and, balls today. I'll do wedges, putting, long, but like, what am I really doing? Am I getting better? Yeah, right. it's, it's very am I getting better? Thing. Am I yeah. getting worse? Yes, oh, yes. I'm gonna fly where to go try to qualify? Okay, I'll fly to Louisiana and I'll right. try and I'll shoot 68 and I'll right. miss by four and then I'll yeah. then I'll be stuck in Louisiana and it's a tough. Um, it's gig. just a. It's not easy. So many peaks and valleys through it emotionally. That's yeah, how uh, yeah. you got to be so mentally strong. And one of the things that I'm seeing now with the tour players is just time management. Like, hey, I'm going to hit balls from this time to this time. And I'm going to go do my short game from this time to this time. Right. I'm going to putt with this guy. and Because you know, everybody's got a team now. At least the top guys do. And then, right. and then they just call it a day. They go get their lunch. They go work out or whatever. And it's just like so structured now um, that it's like sometimes you ask this guy, like, how much are you playing? They're like, yeah. oh, I'm really not playing a lot. They're actually, I'm just trying to perfect, you know, these, right. like you said, that the, these analytics now they're like, oh my gosh, you know, like I, I, I listened to a podcast where they had uh, Francisco Molinari on there yeah, or good. Eduardo, Eduardo Molinari, yeah. who did the, he did the numbers for the, um, for Ryder the uh, European Ryder Cup team. And he just took it full in. And what was impressive is he knew every single guy that played on that team, how many putts they missed above the hole and below the hole. I've never thought about that stat in my yeah. life. Wow. And like, that's how far they broke it down. And that's when Aber came on the radar because he went to uh, Luke and said, you need to keep an eye on this guy because his driving numbers are through the roof. Good. Yeah. I and know. Then, and then the story is what it is. And now it's like, he's dominant. I mean, it is really yeah. impressive. It's really impressive. 
Yeah, the analytics are um they're so much better now than they ever were. Um there, there's it the the story you're talking about you probably saw was um Eduardo was on I think he was on No Laying Up, right? Yeah, I don't remember was. where yeah, it was. No, it was it. Yeah, yep. It was. But he um he broke it down and it was just amazing because what I loved most about it, which was he said, um, I mean, he, he's a guru of all gurus when it comes to a golfer who's gotten into analytics, like he might, he's like the apex of that, you know, he created his own stuff. And, but what's so fascinating to me, which lends always leads me to this point I try to make to golfers, which is you, everyone thinks they know what's going on when they're playing. They know what they're good at. They know what they're bad at, but it's really, really hard to know without data. It, you, you have a lot of biases that are inherent that you've grown up with, that you've lived your whole life with. And so you have different levels of expectations for different levels of your, different things in your game. But what was interesting is that Molinari says, I watched, I was watching the Ryder Cup unfold and man, we looked like we were doing everything better than them. We looked like we were hitting it better, chipping better, putting better. And he, he said, when we went back and looked at the, the strokes gained, you know, what they figured out before the Ryder Cup was that that they drove it straighter than the U.S. and that they were better from like 175 and out coming into greens. Okay. And he now here's a guy who has the best eye in golf watching, you know, inside the ropes, things unfold. And he figured they were just smashing them in every category. It turned out they were just about dead even in chipping, putting and everything except for exactly what he determined was the big thing, which was driving. They got 90% of their strokes gained was on driving and shots over 175. Wow. So wow. what's fascinating is, is he pegged it. And what's even more fascinating is even he didn't see it the way it was really unfolding without the data. You know, yeah. here's the expert of experts watching it from 20 feet away and not even realizing what he was seeing because of biases and, and all these different things. And that's what I love about analytics is that they eliminate all the, the the suppositions and the theories and the hypothesis and and it gets down to you know where where were the strokes where are you playing well what are you doing well and we can measure that now in numbers and what are you doing that needs work it's really cool it's so fascinating i really i, I love it it's a some part of my game that i do not really get into and i know that if i could just crunch it down a little bit you know i i, I think it's great and it's 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 Part of your success and speaking of which so take us through you ended up leaving sc and then how did you get to my other school you just said where'd brock go to grad school i'm gonna go there like how'd you get to pepperdine yeah, after that that that's what i said yeah exactly yeah. <laughs> so, um, how i got there was i so um i was non-renewed at usc which came to a big surprise to myself everybody. and my family everybody and yeah. yeah it was a bum it was a bummer and um so i started teaching and um i was you know i was trying to make a living so i was teaching golf and um michael beard the coach at pepperdine asked me if if i had any interest in in helping out and i knew that they were I mean, I probably would have done it no matter what. But the fact of the matter is, is I knew they had a monster team and it would have been just fascinating to be around a bunch of great players and learn more about golf, you know, and and because I always 
you know, I always feel like I learn when I'm around great players. And so, so I started to help them in the fall of 2020 and um, it was great. So I, I ended up being their volunteer assistant in 20, 2021, which was one season and then the next season. And then I became their full-time assistant in 22, 23. Yeah. And um, lo and behold, they won the NC2As in that first year. You know, they were coming off the COVID year where they were the best team in the country. Yeah. They lost Saheth. Um, mm. But even losing Saheth, they were still amazing and um, ended up winning a national title. And then the very following year, they they lost in the semis at, at Greyhawk. And then, and then the following year it was a lot of, kind of similar to what we did at USC, but the following year they lost in the quarters. Wow. Um, yeah. But you know, you, those kids are so, absolutely lucky because they got two head coaches. I mean, if you look at it, right, you got two 100%. head coaches. Yes. So that is just yeah. like, that, was, they're the was, luckiest campers in the world, to be honest yeah. with you. And, and we were a good, um, we were a good um, match, Michael and I were, because um, actually they might've, um, let's see, they lost, they won. Oh no, this is the fourth year. So yeah, those three years. I I left in the middle of this year. Um you know, Michael and I are very different in things that we we care about and 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 I, you know, doesn't go without mentioning they had an amazing assistant coach there too named Blaine Woodruff who's now kicking butt at UT Chattanooga. Oh, nice. And um yeah, he's doing amazingly well in his second season there. And so um I, I certainly would be remiss not mentioning his contribution because he recruited those kids with Michael and he coached them up and and I was literally just kind of the putting guy and and the, and a little bit of the strategy guy so I tried to help them putt with better speed and, and then kind of do some decade stuff and um, was just really fortunate to uh, to be around all these great players they were they were amazing too they were yeah. they were like eight deep eight studs deep and um um. And then, like I said, Michael, Michael's approach was different than mine. And, and, um, and there's so much that I learned from him about, about patience, about, uh, just, um, like how he kept the peace, you know, it's, it can be hard when you're on a, in a group of really competitive people, um, especially fighting for finite positions, you know, he's um, such a calm presence. He's like, he's kind of like you in certain ways, like he, in just in terms of personality, like a calm soul. But I feel like you have the tiger inside that comes out sometimes. <laughs> well, I'm not the calm soul. He's that's what I'm saying. Soul. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> but, 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 but yeah. you also yeah, have, no, a, he, yeah, good deal. Well, I I've learned to mellow out, um, <laughs> just based on necessity. Yeah. Um, yeah. I can get a little bit too intense and, and Michael is very intense too, but he, he does just a great job of, of yeah. like keeping it under wraps. And so and that's guys, what I learned from him. Is, you guys won the national championship out. with Sahith or was it? No, was, Sahith was gone. That's he right. Had left. That's right. That's incredible. Yeah, Joe, is it Highsmith? Is that his name? The lefty? Is it? It was, it was, um, the, the starting lineup was Dylan Menante, who's now, yeah. or Manetti, they, and, they say he's at North, North Carolina, Carolina now, yeah. but, um, Joey Verzich, Joe Highsmith, William Mao, yeah, and uh, and a, a guy who just was our maybe our MVP at the finals that year, a guy named Clay Fagler. Oh, who, yeah, from oh, Laguna yeah. Niguel, yeah, yeah, from, yeah, yeah, Niguel, who uh, yeah. just turned into um, 
just played perfect golf for like five straight days, um, putted like a demon, hit it straight, hit it on the green. Just he he knocked out three studs, I think, um, in match play, and 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 he also clinched it. So, anyways, wow. it was it was a magical week. Um, phenomenal team. Uh, we ended up with another really good team the following year, and unfortunately lost. Um, we lost in the semis to Arizona State, yeah, which was right. a really close match. Right. And um, and that anyways, leads, it was a great. That leads to an unbelievable position you have now. Tell us what is going on. Finally, we have a developmental program in the U.S. So, and how this come about? Yeah, how's tell this, us the yeah. story. I'm uh, dying this all come about? to get to this. Yes. You mean how did the program come about, or how was my involvement? How well, how did how did they find both. you? And then, both. And, yeah, yeah, exactly. Both. Yeah. Okay, so so USGA decided that they wanted to take this on because um, I had a chance to talk with um, somebody at the PGA last week, and they talked about how they were going to try to start this um, themselves, the PGA of America, and turned out they just didn't have the funding or, or didn't want to fund it, um, or maybe just didn't have enough people who were ex as excited about it as they needed to be to do it. So they ended up not doing it, and then USGA decided to do it, and and I think that was with the leadership of Mike Wan and John Bodenhammer. And then also my boss, a woman named Heather Daly Donofrio, who was a LPGA yeah. tour winner, long-time player she there. Was with long -time the LPGA, yeah. Yeah, an executive with the LPGA yep. under Mike Wan. And then so Mike went over to the USGA as their CEO. And um, I'm not sure if, Mike and John decided to take this this national development program on and then hire Heather. I'm pretty sure that's how it went. So I don't think she was on staff when it was decided. Excuse me. But um, so they decided to start this program. I had heard about it and I was really interested and it. it sounded fascinating. I was at this point, I wasn't even a full time coach at Pepperdine. I believe I was just a volunteer and teaching and doing some decades stuff. And so I had a chance to talk with a guy. Um, named Scott Langley, who is is a, a, a big part of the USGA now. He he's in player services, player relations. He kind of took over Jason Gore's old mm. job. Oh uh, yeah. yeah. That everybody had heard so much about. And um and Scott, um former NC2A champion, former tour player. Um, but he played for me on the Palmer Cup in 2010. And uh, mm. I got to know him a little bit and we got along great. It was just we spent about five days together in uh Royal Port Rush. And he reached out to me as a as someone who coached, wanting to get some information on like what it was like to coach kids in federations. You know, like as a as a longtime coach, Chris, can you tell me about your experiences with kids on the Dutch team or the Australian team? And so he reached out for that reason uh, on behalf of this new US national development program. And I said, well Scott, and before we even get started, I want to tell you, I'm like unbelievably interested in this program and I'd like to be part of it in any way I can. And so I, I put it out there that I was interested and then it, it took a while, but finally a job opened up within the, within the group uh, for the, the development director. And uh, it was, I, I, I went after, I thought it was purely about developing a golfer's physical game. And it turned out it was about developing the whole athlete. And, and it was, it was something that um, I would have enjoyed doing, but it's not at all um, 
qualified to do what what my like work partner now, a woman named Dr. Beth Brown does. She's just amazing. And she it's so much more than just, you know, how do you hit it? How do you chip it? How do you put it? It's it's all those things you talked about, Brent, earlier when we were talking about Rico and like, you know, what what happened? Why didn't he make it earlier? You know, there's just a lot. Yeah. There's so much. And it's yeah. so much more than just, you know, can you hit it online and do you hit it hard and can you make a few putts? And so luckily we recognize that and, and we're making sure we develop the whole athlete and not just the golfer, you know, preparing them for everything that'll come their way. Um, but I didn't get that job. They said, Hey, Chris, good news, bad news. You didn't get the job, but we want you to, to um, go after the head coaching job when it opens. And that was, that was last probably April mm-hmm. or so. And so I kept my, my ears open and got an email or a text um, from the USJ saying, Hey, it's open. If you want to send in your resume, do so now, please. And so I did. And um, sounds like they got a, a, enough big time coaches to say they weren't interested. And finally <laughs> it got to me, I think. Um, the player to be like, shut up. Shut resume up. So process. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I don't think any of them put in their resume, but they certainly got a, they got a call. Um, oh my god! From what I'm hearing, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and des- um, describe so anyways, what this, um, what is the developmental pro? Because I've dealt with the other countries when I was a golf agent, and but like, tell us what your view of like what are you, what what are you tasked to do as the head coach now? Okay, it's a great question because a lot of people in our country are they're interested, and then there's also this kind of skeptical, like, what exactly? I mean, yeah. the, the part of them are like, aren't we pretty good? Like, do we really need this? And um, and the fact of the matter is, is that if you look at, you know, we've USJ has been studying our progress and and and, you know, we're a development program for for boys, girls, men and women and not just on the men's side, but we're we're, we're developing both sides. And. We could probably be doing better as as a country on the women's side, you know, we're, we're, we, I think we have 16 of the top hundred are yeah. in the world rankings, uh, the Rolex world rankings, which are the professional rankings on the women's side. And so for a country as large as ours, that's not a really satisfying number for mm-hmm. anybody. I don't think. No. Um, and so, you know, but it's not just about the girls and the women's side. It's about both sides. Like we just want to help. Like we, Okay. Best way to describe, first of all, is what is our goal? Our goal is so that when our players turn pro, they're highly successful and they lead the way, and that we are the country with the most champions. And 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 might we be that without getting involved? Maybe. I mean, right now, maybe on the men's side, but but either way. Why just because we're we're big, why is it just a free for all? Or why does it have to be a free for all on people finding their way to pro golf? You know, yeah. I mean, in, in the end, you can make the argument that they find their way to college golf and then they get a lot of direction. But and and, and don't get me wrong, like the help that they're getting from PJ professionals or teaching instructors and and they're getting tons of help in that way, shape, and form, but they're but nobody's helping them pay for that. I can tell yeah. you that they're paying mm-hmm. for, out of their own pockets. Not everybody's, you know, a country club person who can afford instruction, um, 
can afford traveling, can afford. So, so you know, our efforts are multi-pronged. We're trying to take the best players and just help them in any way get better. We're trying to also find young, talented players who maybe don't have the means to pursue golf the way that you kind of have to if you want to be great. So we're, we're starting – so so – you know, starting on the premise, we want to make American golf better when they get to become professionals. Okay. Mm -hmm. That's our goal. How we're doing it is we're going to have national teams with the best of the best. We're going to have a grant program that helps fund. And we've already started the process. We've have, we're already in the process of analyzing the applicants and we're going to be giving out grants, um, sometime in the next like month and a half that will amount to about $750,000 in, wow. in funds to help. Yeah. Young people pursue golf in a meaningful way. And then we're also starting a, a state program. Uh, we have seven uh, states in our pilot program. Our goal is to have 50 states. And so we're, we're making the ba the base super broad um, with the goal of making a difference, you know, yeah. helping, like I said, instead of it just literally being like, hey, you know, we'll, we'll take the rule of Darwinism, apply it to golf, say, may the fittest survive. Like, how about we do something about it? You know, yeah. it's like, it's kind of like, you know, you, you hear Scotty Scheffler talking about, and I'm not saying we're the Scotty Scheffler of golf because he's amazing and he's the top of the game. And I'm not saying the U.S. is there, but but we are considered one of the dominant forces in golf, but, but Scotty Sheffer's working on stuff. He's trying yeah. to get better. Like mm -hmm. just because we're doing okay, doesn't mean we couldn't do better. And if there's, and, and we're not here to, to replace anyone in, in their, any golfer's life, you know, uh, they're, they're, you know, to use a kind of sciencey word, their, their golf ecosystem. We're not trying to replace, we're just trying to add, you know, how can we maybe teach them something they didn't know, that might help them help themselves. You know, if there's, you know, I, I, I always would say to recruits, I would say, I'd say, Hey, if you asked a 40 year old professional, what they've learned about golf since they've turned pro. Oh yeah. They would say, I've learned a million things about golf since I've turned pro, no matter how good they were at 22 tiger woods is 48. Now I believe he has learned so many things about golf yeah. since he was a 20 year old amateur or well, 19 year old amateur and, like, and, and the golf time. ecosystem that they have now is kind of a shit show to use a french word because you know <laughs> when i was a golf agent even to this day i'll get call from you know junior golfer parents high school golfer parents what they're do clueless I do? what do i do and i said i guess you do ajga you play in the state am you play in the usam like it is you know when i so uh, i got a call from the spanish golf federation this guy that i knew and he said we're going to go after john rom and you're going to be the agent i said let's go so they had the whole federation they got me and another guy and I learned a lot about these countries that develop golfers. Unfortunately for me, yep. the other competition was Tim Mickelson and Phil Mickelson and Lagardere. I'm like, <laughs> yeah. 
Okay, good luck. Well, and good and luck. Tim quit his job to caddy for Rom, and I'm like, okay, forget it. I'm, but I, I realized so, all of yeah, that. Yeah, you remember all that. I, I told you when that was happening. I was like, we have no chance. But it was very interesting <laughs> to hear how these countries they take the kids at nine years old and they support them if they have the talent and the will and they want to do it and help them along the way. So I think yeah. this is going to be incredible, and especially on the women's side because I had a bunch of LPGA golfers. You remember and like in the Korean world, the girls turn pro at eight and yeah. they, then yeah. they, then they play on the <laughs> Korean tour until they're fantastic. Then they come to the LPGA and they're rookies. But what's they, your, what's your window, Chris, uh, where are you guys going to start uh, age group and go to, we where, are, where'd you see so you? the thought was we would start at 12, but we're going to start later. We're going to start at 13 or maybe yeah. even closer to 14. And, um, and then we'll take them. So, so you know, at the highest level, we're going to have 30 juniors who are boys, 30 who are girls who are part of the national team. And then we'll have um, 15 to 20 high-level amateurs on both sides. And then we'll have around 10 young professionals on both sides. And so um, not all federations take them into their early years of pro golf, but we're going mm. to do that. Um, Beautiful. when it's completely set up so that, like I said earlier, so we can help, you know, how okay. can we help, you know, how can we give advice, direction, funding, whatever we need to do to help ensure that Americans um, continue to be at the top of the game um, or get back to the top of the game. And yeah. so that's, you know, there's, it, it's, um, it's a fairly altruistic approach. There's not, you know, we don't get a lot out of it. We, we're trying to do something for American golf, you know, um, and it's pretty cool. It's pretty so cool. cool with the only concern. How can we be better? How can we help? Will you be sending these kids off to national championships or worldwide championships? Like I remember when I was in the early nineties, uh, Wardy and I went over to play in the uh, South of Ireland championships, a couple other things. And we ran into Robert Allenby and John Wade and these guys that were, and I'm like, yeah. what are you guys doing here? And they're like, Oh, the Australian <laughs> yeah. uh, golf association's got us going to play in this, the British amateur, like all over the world. And he's like, yep. yeah, we're gone for two months and they, they paid for yeah. everything. And so is that like something you guys want to do and try to get these kids in the British amateurs and the yes. British boys and all yes. that kind of stuff kind of thing. Okay. Yep. So we are um, currently, so we're going to name a, a team of eight boys and eight girls um, between the ages really of like 14 to 17 in the next month and a half or so to our first team. So we'll have 16 players and we're going to, this year we're going to do some training camps. We're going to do some individual training. And we're hopefully going to compete multiple times, one of which will be a match that we are going to put together with Australia for the first month of July. Mm. And then we'll be taking three of the girls to the what's called the World Junior, which is a Canadian event that that it's a team event. And then we'll be we have a number of options that we're looking at for the, the guys. And so we won't necessarily compete as a complete group you know just like what you saw with the australians they they showed up as individuals but they were being sponsored and helped by their country right. and so the, the australian match will be everyone um it'll be eight versus eight match play at a really hopefully a really nice club on the east coast and then of america and then it looks like we're going to try to bring 
a handful of kids here and there. You know, it'll probably be a little bit of time before we can, you know, formulate competitions where everyone can play and it's like mm -hmm. a giant Ryder Cup-ish type right. thing. Um, but we we can, you know, I've already reached out to the, the RNA. Um, it'll be interesting to see if we get those spots, if we can get some spots. Um, um, there's a little bit of overlap between like the, the British boys and the USAM. Mm -hmm. And so likely any kid who would, would, would be exempt for the British boys will also be exempt for the AM. So the USAM, so probably not going to do that, but we might go to Canada, uh, a place I know you're familiar with and play in the, mm -hmm. um, uh, the Canadian amateur. Um, we think that they'll be pretty helpful in helping us. Uh, I mean, this is incredible. So, you yeah. know how big this is, Chris. I think people that aren't in the golf world don't really know how big this is. I mean, this is uh, incredible. And I can't think of a better guy to have at the helm. I mean, it is it's so exciting because we've just had this hole in junior golf that people just kind of, oh, I played an AJG event and I did this and I played for my high school and I don't really know what do I do during the summer. Like all these kids, you know, would call me, where should I play? I said, I don't know, Transmiss, USA, and, uh, you know, it's completely yeah. unorganized. So having yeah. you guys it's, it's do this. It's a free this, for all. Yeah, it's, and it's so awesome and that you guys are doing this and, you know, anything we can do to help promote you guys. If you have some good golfers that want to come on that talk about their golf, we'll promote them. I mean, this is really exciting. And uh, um, they picked the perfect guy, buddy. I'm so excited. Yeah, for thanks, yeah. guys. Thanks. Yeah. Uh, thanks for your time today. I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. I mean, we dragged it out. We didn't even get into decade too much. Yeah. So we may have to do a de decade talk another time because I know you're you're busy and I want to get you on the road. But man, what a pleasure. Someday we're going to play golf again together. Come over to the club and play. Or if you have some juniors that need to get out, I'll host you guys. So and I know I'll tell you awesome. what I'd love to do, uh, yeah. Chris, is maybe in the fall, right? After you've experienced the summertime and and possibly, you know, come, you know, Thanksgiving or somewhere around that time, you know, after you've kind of seen a whole summer go by, we'd love to get an update and how things are going. So hopefully yeah. you'd want to come back on again. Let us help you any way I'd we can, to. buddy. Yeah, thanks, you guys. All have right. Thanks, day. Chris. Let's stay in touch, yeah. buddy. Okay. Thanks, Chris. See you. All right. Yep. See you. See you.